Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two of The Small Bowel. And let's start where we left off. How good are we for detecting the source of small bowel bleeding? Now, if we look at GI bleeding in general, and we talk about upper GI bleed as proximal to the ligament of trites, which accounts for about 70% of bleeds, and the lower GI bleeds would be distal to the ligament of trites. When you look at CT enterography, it's very good for GI bleeding, whether it's angiodysplasias or vascular dysplasias, whether it's neoplasms or meckles, CT indeed is very good. And the articles about CT have really essentially increased as quality of CT got better and as our techniques got better. Here's an article from 06, arterial phase MDCT is accurate for detection and localization of bleeding sites in patients with acute massive GI bleeding. And in this article, they were 100% accurate for localizing GI bleeds, but again, these were large bleeds, whatever that means. And we published an article a few years back from Hopkins and Stanford talking about the importance of CTA to be able to detect and map out the site of bleeding to be used for preoperative planning. Steiner, more recently, talked about the role of CT from an angiography perspective, from an, or an angiographer's perspective, or both, talking about how the importance of multiplanar reconstructions and the importance of MIP for looking at sites of bleeding, and the fact that CTA was better than DSA, 0.3 ml per minute is what you need to see. And you can see examples. It's a subtle finding, so you need to get used to it. We use a neutral contrast agent. We love water. So there you look at the images. Notice those bright areas in the duodenum. Okay, it's subtle. Now, the importance of reconstruction. Coronal. You see, it's easier to see, I think. And there's a few sites of bleeding or a few sites of dysplasia. But then look at that zone when I go to MIP. Look how obvious it is. And that was vascular dysplasias and the multiple sites of bleeding. Just a beautiful example. And this bowel loop was resected. Again, look how much better MIP is than even a coronal display. MIP is ideal. Or in this case, with bleeding in the jejunum, you can see the single foci of bright bleeding due to an AVM in the patient's uh, proximal jejunum. Very nicely shown. And again, the coronal show it well, but the MIP shows it, in fact, better. Again, we use both of these routinely. Or in this case, in a patient with GI bleeding, when you look carefully, what you see is a small mass in the patient's jejunum, only two centimeters, and this was a gist tumor. It's exophytic. Now, gist tumors are usually larger, but this one presented with bleeding, and we were able to detect it. It's so easy to pick up. And here's another one. Very, very bright lesion. In fact, it was so bright, I thought about a carcinoid tumor. Not a great location for carcinoids, but carcinoids can bleed. There was no desmoplastic reaction. But this was a gist tumor. Look how nicely we could see it. The water against the very fast injection of contrast. Very nice vascular maps. Very nicely shown. Now, this patient had a GI bleed, and when you look quickly, this looks like positive contrast, maybe from oral contrast. The key is no oral contrast. Some people will give uh, or do non-contrast scans first, which is good because potentially high-density material can be confused with bleed. What we do is, instead of doing the non-contrast, we do arterial and venous phase imaging. And I like that better because if I want to reduce the dose and not do three phases, the reason I like arterial and venous is sometimes bleeds are best shown or even only shown in venous phase imaging. Sometimes they're best shown or only shown arterially. 
Now, if I have a real bleed, it always looks different from arterial to venous, and so I'm not going to have an issue with confusing it with foreign matter. So in this case, what is this? And you're looking at it again, is that a bleed? You look at it very carefully, and you can see as you go to uh, later imaging, the appearance changes, it's denser, classic for bleed. Or this case, abdominal pain and GI bleeding, and you could see uh, there's a capsule in the way, and this capsule study, by the way, was negative. Then you look carefully, and you say, what's that tubular structure in the right lower quadrant? Then you look at it, and it's blind ending. It's slightly enhancing. And what is that? That's a classic example of a Meckel's diverticulum. Remember, Meckel's are one of the common causes of bleeding, but usually in the pediatric population. Presents like appendicitis, IBD, or potentially bowel obstruction. But CT is really good at picking up Meckel's complications, and this was an excellent example. What else? What other things do we look at? Well, if we look at vessels, we talk about SMA syndrome. It's typically seen in patients with marked weight loss, anorexia nervosa, and originally described in patients with total body casting. The issue is the angle between the SMA and the aorta, as shown here, is decreased, and so you have compression of the left renal vein and the duodenum. The angle typically drops under 25 degrees, but usually under 10 degrees, and the distance from SMA to the aorta is under 10 millimeters. The classic presentation we've been seeing is patient with unexplained nausea and vomiting. You think about ulcer disease. You think about obstruction. Here's the stomach's distended, but then you see the duodenum's distended, and you follow it, and where's the transition? Right by the SMA. A beautiful example as we look closer of SMA syndrome with obstruction of the SMA of the duodenum. Just a very, very nice example. And look at the sagittal view. Look how the angle was so decreased. So again, a very important study. Another example, dilated duodenum, dilated stomach. What's the cause of the duodenal dilatation? Well, you can see it's changing caliber at the level of the SMA. And you look at the sagittal view, which is so critical always to look at in abdominal imaging, and you see the narrowed angle between the SMA and the aorta, classic SMA syndrome. When I talk about SMA syndrome, I also like to talk about median awkward ligament syndrome. It's an important finding in many cases. At times, because you get collaterals near the head of the pancreas, it can be confused with the pancreatic mass. Also becomes important in certain surgeries like Whipple's procedure or hepatic surgery. What happens is the median awkward ligament uh, compresses the patient's celiac axis, typically in younger patients and more common in thin women. Patients can present with epigastric pain and weight loss. Sometimes it's an incidental finding, and in our experience, it's more common as an incidental finding. The surgical management of median awkward ligament syndrome is controversial. Some people consider surgery. Some people consider stenting. Some people just follow the patients. CT is very good. We've published on this. It has a very classic appearance. It's what I would call a fish hook. You see how the celiac artery is narrowed. You see how the median augment ligament is compressing. Look at that postenotic dilatation. Very nice fish hook appearance. Here it is again. 
Now, of course, when you're looking at narrowing of the celiac, you always worry, could there be a cancer? But you can see there's no mass here, and you see the median arc with ligament compressing. So what happens to get flow to the hepatic artery? You have a dilated GDA, which gets flow from the SMA, and you go backwards with retrograde flow. So you see really good flow in the hepatic artery. You can see how large the patient's GDA can be, and it can be confusing. Another example with median awkward ligament syndrome, look how dilated uh, the um, celiac artery is after the origin of the vessel. Again, sometimes it's hard to distinguish from non-calcified plaque causing some compression, but usually when you look at the sagittal views, you can make the diagnosis. And here's another example very nicely showing you the collateral flow here and here as well. And finally, looking sagittally, you can see how nicely we can see the process. Okay, very nice example. Here I'm showing you again with MIP imaging. You can see why it would simulate potentially or make the pancreatic head uh, seem prominent. Again, important things. When is it really important? Potential liver transplant patients, patients with planned extensive hepatic resection where GDA patency is critical, and a Whipple's procedure where the GDA is routinely sacrificed, it would be a catastrophe. If you would tie off the GDA in those patients, you would develop an infarcted liver, for example. Now, when we talk about the mesenteric vessels, we talk about other pathologies, we talk about focal dissection, celiac and SMA, often uh, the only finding, you can see here very nicely, the SMA dissection. This patient has not had a catheterization. Another example here, you can see very nicely as you look at the uh, patients with contrast images, the patient has the uh, SMA dissection present. There is lots of controversy. What do you do with this? Can this extend further? Can this lead to occlusion? It's not really clear. You can see in this example, the patient has a proximal dissection and then multiple irregularities in branches of the SMA. This was a patient with a vasculitis with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So it may be part of a bigger syndrome or it may be incidental. There have been several articles recently, this article by Jung, speaking about insplagnic artery dissection, conservative management, uh, has good outcomes except in patients with bowel ischemia, aneurysm with dilatation three times larger than normal bowel, or progression of dissection. So more and more people are thinking perhaps surgery, perhaps anticoagulant therapy, but you know, just simply watching may be the best course. I mentioned about Ehlers-Danlos, and here's just another example, SMA dissection, very nicely shown. And again, more distantly, look at the focal areas of aneurysmal dilatation and narrowing of the vessel. Ehlers-Danlos gives you multiple dissections and multiple vessel irregularities. Now, one of the other things we look at in terms of vessels is as a complication. Uh, here's a very nice example of a patient with a drop in hematocrit post-Whipple's procedure. Dr. Cameron has always told me when you uh, have that history, you better be thinking about a bleed from the GDA stump or a bleed from the uh, splenic artery. And here you can see basically a bleed from the region of the GDA stump near the hepatic artery, active extravasation. This article from Hopkins, we talk about Whipple's procedure and complications, and there are numerous complications, but one of them that's very important and can be life-threatening is post-surgical hemorrhage. And here's another, here's that same case from before showing you very nicely the CTA. And in these cases, 
the patient will get embolization. Surgery is not the way to go for these patients. This patient will be getting embolization of that vessel. And again, look how nicely we can see the patient's uh, um, bleed, the act of bleed, and the mass effect very nicely shown. The whole area about aneurysms and pseudoaneurysms is important. Here's a nice example of a pseudoaneurysm of the hepatic artery in an IV drug abuser. Often you'll see perfusion changes around the vessel. You can see other things like splenic infarcts, hepatic infarcts. Again, the typical things you see with IV drug abusers. A very important diagnosis to make. This will either be embolized or resected. Typically these days, embolization is the way to go. And when you look at a patient like this, when you see one aneurysm, a pseudoaneurysm, look for more. You can see in this case, some jejunal branches with several smaller pseudoaneurysms present. In talking about small bowel, we also talk about ischemia, and we've spoken about that in, some, in several other lectures, but let me just make a few brief comments. Ischemia can be arterial or venous in nature, with arterial most commonly due to atherosclerosis or emboli, and venous due to venous thrombosis. Obviously, arterial is more common. The typical findings, bowel dilatation, bowel wall thickening, dilated mesenteric veins, edema in the mesenteric fat, intramural air, and portal venous gas are all things we can see. And when you look at this list, at the bottom of the list are their later findings. The key is early diagnosis. And that's always a challenge because luminal dilatation may be the only finding. We speak about atherosclerosis being the number one cause of ischemia. Again, look at the sagittal views. You can see very nicely here plaque in the SMA and celiac with some narrowing of the SMA noted. You can see in this case, when I do the images correctly, that there is clot in the SMA, and this patient had ischemic bowel. And you can see as you go further, there's the thrombus very nicely shown. And again, the sagittal showing you some flow in the vessel, but you can see it's about 90% stenosis approximately. There's increased flow beyond the stenosis, and then there's a thrombus more distally. Just a very nice example shown. You can see in this case, dilated bowel with poor enhancement. That's a really, really bad sign. I gotta be thinking ischemia. You can suggest even possibly pneumatosis, but look at the sagittal view. You see the SMA is occluded several sonomids from its origin. This is an important finding. You can see in this case, if you just quickly look, the SMA looks great, but it's several sonometers in that you see the occlusion. A thrombus was removed. Here's the patient a couple weeks later. So again, recognizing you need to look very carefully at the vessel. Another example, thrombus, acute in nature of the SMA, probably embolism, there's some thickening of bowel, you worry about early bowel ischemia. Patient went to surgery, timing is critical, thrombus removed, the bowel looked good, there was no need to resect bowel in this patient. You need to be very careful. Another example, the SMA looks good, but look when you go a bit more distally, it's very subtle, but it's occluded. Again, sagittal views, look how easy it is to pick up the thrombosis and the sagittal view. Again, it's amazing how good the proximal vessels look, but unless you look very carefully, you're gonna miss a finding that may be critical to the patient's survival. Now, other things we can see with ischemic bowel is just really small diameter vessels. Look at this case, look how small the celiac and SMA is. No surprise, this patient at a minimum is gonna have a low flow state, if not early ischemia. 
Look how bad the vessels are. And this patient, another example, look at this case. Look at the bowel. It's thickened, questionable pneumatosis, fluid and inflammation in the mesentery. And then when you look at the vessels, look at the vessels, the SMA and the celiac, there's barely any flow. Atherosclerotic change, the vessels are basically occluded. This patient had severe bowel infarction, and this patient died. Again, the vessels look much worse than the bowel, but in time, the bowel will show that ischemic change of pneumatosis. Again, thoughts of grafting, lots of heroic things that can be done. In that patient, the patient had multiple comorbidities and nothing was felt to be able to be done for that patient. Concluding then, CT enterography builds on our experience of CT of the small bowel. It provides the opportunity for increased lesion detection and characterization. I hope I've shown you also how important protocols are. You need to use water, you need to inject quickly, and you need to do multiplanar and 3D imaging. And with that, have a great day.